Well, we're going to get right into the word tonight. Um, Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We glorify you. We magnify you. Father, bring out your truths in your word. Lord, help us to only say those things that are being said in your most precious promises in your book. Let the book speak for itself. But yet, as it speaks to us, O oh God, give us a clear understanding of the truths of your word. Let not no area of your truth be blocked away from us. And if there's anything in our lives that's causing our understanding to be unfruitful, Father, we ask that you will move it out of the way. Because the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. And Lord, we ask now that he would have preeminence in our hearts, and our minds. Let nothing distract us and that we will be locked and loaded on what you want to say to us. And so I submit myself to the work of the Holy Spirit and speak through me your most precious promises. Lord, we honor you and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. We'll be looking at John chapter 12. We're still there. And we'll be looking at the verses, uh, verses 12 through 36. And I want to title our thought for tonight, if you want to uh, have a thought. Jesus is the victorious king. How many believe that Jesus is a victorious king? Now, let me ask you a question. Let's just open, up, open it up with a question. Um, forget what you know about what really happened. Let's put ourselves in Jesus' day. You are Jewish. Uh, you've heard and seen all the things that he has done. We know these, previ- these verses that we're going to look at Jesus, is Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you a question. Remember, as a teacher, you raise your hand. You don't yell out. We have a place in the back for the students who do that. <laughs> it was declared that Jesus would be king. In your mind, by raising your hand, tell me what would you see? What would you be able to see? If you heard a king was coming into the city, what are some of the things you would hear or see if a king was coming into his city or into his kingdom? Give me one. Okay, you would hear a fanfare. You would hear horns blowing, right? Okay, the sound that somebody important is about to arrive. And the horns are normally a sound of declaration to get everybody's attention. He has arrived. And normally we see that. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever gone to a wedding when all of the bridesmaids come in, the men of honor, whatever, and then when the, it's time for the bride to come up, what do they do? They ask everyone to stand, okay? And they don't ask anybody to stand when the guys show up. I guess it ain't, it ain't never been about us. So, number one, you're going to hear a fanfare, horns blowing. What's another thing you're going to hear or see if a king was coming into his city or into his kingdom? Someone else. Yes, sir, Mr. Barry. He would probably be on a stallion, a white stallion or a black one. I don't know if all stallions are black. I'm not a horse guy. No, they're not all black. You got some white stallions, okay. A stately horse, you'll have some guys not walking in front of him, but on the side or behind him to show his authority. Okay, so we have the horns blowing. We got this guy coming in on a stallion, a white stallion, and that thing will be trotting. I mean, you know, man, that that looks kingly. What else will we hear or see? Yes, ma'am. All right, you will inside. Once arriving, there is a feast in his honor or in her honor because there are some nations that had queens that got the same type of treatment. And so you will see those invited of royalty. There's a feast for them. And nothing is spared for him or her. Yes. Yeah, you will see Crosby. <laughs> you will never see a king come in, horns blaring. You got all the guys on the side of him. He's dressed in his war, you know, his warrior stuff. And two people out there going. <laughs> you just don't see that. Okay? If you did, it's like, okay, something's wrong here. Anybody else? Something you hear or see right here. Possibly a red carpet. Okay, you've heard the term roll out the red carpet, which is a symbol that we recognize and honor you. Okay, right here, sir. He will be dressed in a royal outfit. No do-like boots or anything like that. No, you know, something that shows that his attire reflects his royalty, uh, that has symbols on it. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. 
that would be singing. Right, right. David showed up in the kingdom and they were saying, David, Saul killed his thousands. David kills his tens of thousands. Of course, that song didn't go well with Saul. You know, he wanted to turn the CD over or get that CD out. But so weird. One more right here. Yeah, you would see people paying homage and there would be those who will be bowing down. Okay. And one other thing you probably would see, um, if he was a, a, a warrior king, Normally what they would have right behind him are those people that he has conquered. He would be riding first and behind him would be the people that he has conquered. Literally to show that they, I've conquered them and they are now in submission to my authority. Now that don't set well with the people behind him. You know, and, and, you know I've been to enough parades to know that sometimes horses don't ask to use the bathroom. If you are conquered, some of y'all probably get that. Okay, but they would just have to deal with that. And so what I want to look at tonight is here is a king of a different order, a king of a different breed. There was something different about this king when you compare him to all of the kings. Let's take a look at it in um, John chapter 12, and we'll look at the following verses 12 to uh, 36. The next day... The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it, was, as it is written, fear not, daughter of uh, Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey coat donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things and had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that he had heard, they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said one to another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Some of these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul, now is my soul trouble. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had it, it, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. May God have a blessing to the reading of his word. When we take a look at point number one, 
Um, here is Jesus. We see the scene most of us know as Palm Sunday, the event we come to know as Palm Sunday, where Jesus now is about to make his triumphant entry into the city, and they're laying palm branches down before him. But if we go back a little bit, we will take a look at, there was another event that led up to this that pretty much sealed the deal for, his, for the Pharisees and Sadducees deciding to kill him, and that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And if you remember in the previous verses leading up to here, the Pharisees were somewhat disturbed by what had happened with Lazarus because they had never seen anything such as as this before. And in their mind, they decided that we're going to kill not only Jesus, but we're going to get rid of Lazarus as well. Now, during that time, they didn't have... um, a news outlet like we have today. I mean, you can sneeze today and, and half the world will know on social media that you just sneeze. I'm always amazed when people uh, with Twitter accounts, how everybody feel they have to tweet out every minute, every second of their life. I am going to get something to eat. I just stopped at my favorite restaurant. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? But for them, it would have been a way to snuff out Jesus by killing the one person who was connected to an event that started drawing more and more people to Jesus, and that was Lazarus. Because if we can kill him, we can snuff him out and basically, basically grab Jesus and sh- shut this nonsense off. So here is this king arrives in the city. Now the title of this is that Jesus is the victorious king. Many of you describe what a king would look like, an earthly king would look like, if he was arriving in the city. But the following Scriptures and verses, passage of scripture we just read, Jesus, for some reason, didn't fit that mold. You would think if he was a king, he would be coming on a stallion, not a donkey. You would think that if he was a king, he would have an army behind him, but he had 12 guys, and one of them wasn't even with him. But there are some truths in the word of God that I think God wants us to understand and know tonight. Number one about this king. Number one, his victory was not political. This king's victory was not going to be political. Now, let's take a look at him. What they said, they began to scream. The crowd was there. They began to scream, Hosanna. The word Hosanna in the Hebrew means save us, Lord. And they said when they attached Hosanna to it, they attached the second part. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. And yet, what they were screaming was biblically correct, but it was also, they were, they were shouting the messianic shout, the fact that Jesus did come to save them, and that Jesus is king of Israel. Look at Psalms 118, verse 25 and 26. And this was something every Jewish person knew because it was a cry or a song that they would sing about the time of the feast of the Passover, which was now the time that Jesus was making his way into the city. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So we know that the Jewish people traditionally in this moment knew to shout, this out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they began to shout Hosanna. So what was coming from them was biblically correct. But here's the question I need to ask you. Why were the Jews so wrong in their understanding of what the Messiah would be and do? And I want to pause right there and see how you would answer that. Why were the Jews so wrong in their understanding of what the Messiah would be and would do. Why do you think they declared truth out of their mouth, but their understanding didn't line up with what they declared? So why do you think the Jews were so wrong in their understanding about what the Messiah would be or do? Anybody want to take a guess? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. They had a certain perception of what this king would look like. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Okay, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know how many of you have ever had an opportunity to get introduced to someone very powerful, someone very famous. Uh, anybody ever been invited to meet someone very famous, very powerful? And, and then when you, and, and it, it's almost like they've been hyped up so much that when you finally meet them, you go, really? That's the person? I remember back in 1983, no, 1985, I was, uh, as a graduate assistant at the Ozark University, um, and we had our board of trustees meeting, and we had uh, this, uh, this, pe- this board outside. This lady was building an $8.3 million fine arts building, and it was Helen Walton. And I had never met her before. So here I was sitting at the head table. We had all these um, big money people who give money to the college sitting out there, and I was nervous as all get out. And so I'm sitting there trying to read my script, making sure I don't mess up, you know. And these are some of the same people the year before had watched me play. And so the, I was sitting here, and the president's wife, Miss Erin, was sitting there, and Helen Walton was sitting on the next, right next to her. And so she sort of hit me with the elbow, and she said, Mr. Fry, do you know who this lady is? And I looked down, and I really didn't know. And I said, no, not really. And I went back to reading, and she hit me again. She says, let me ask you a question. Did you not see that picture outside the door when you came in? I said, yeah, that's our new fine arts building. Did you not see what the donation was? I said, yeah. And she says, so do you know what I'm, and I turned, I went, oh, okay, okay. Then I mean, you know, I'm like, okay, that's Miss Helen. And when I pulled back my seat and I went to shake her hand and she stood up and she was about this tall. But don't let that statue fool you. That's a very powerful woman financially. And I looked at it and I went, so this is Helen Walton. Now, she was everything I'd ever heard, sweet lady, um, just the, the, the model of who your grandmother would be. And she's a loving lady. But she was, you know, people told me about her character and she was all of that. But there are certain people you just look at them like, no, they're not like what I thought they were going to be. Well, here is Jesus. He shows up on the scene and they're declaring who he is by saying Hosanna, which means Lord save us. And that's why he came. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we bless you from the house of the Lord, because now you're the king of Israel. But here is the thing. We answer this question. Why did the Jews, why were they so wrong in their understanding of what the Messiah would be and do? And many of you were correct. Look at John chapter 12, verse 15 and 19. It gives us a clue. It says, fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. This, the reason why the crowd met, went to meet him was they heard what he had done, how he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In John chapter 6, verse 11 through 15, we see again how we answer this question, why the Jewish people were so wrong in their understanding. Then Jesus took the loaves, and this is where he literally fed the 5,000. No one has ever done this before, and that was 5,000 just the men not including the the children and the women. But watch this. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So when the fish, um, as much as they wanted, so also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten till they were filled, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done this, they said, now watch this, here we go. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and do what? And make him king. And what did Jesus do? Jesus withdrew himself again to the mountain by himself 
Wow. They had never seen a miracle like this before. They said, this is the prophet. This is he. And they were getting ready to seize him. Jesus, the scriptures say, Jesus perceiving in his heart. They were ready to grab him, throw him on his shoulder, and begin to make him king. But Jesus says, no, this is not why I came. And so he pulled himself back because the time was not come to reveal who he was. And John chapter 11, verse 47 and 48, here's what it says. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Now, watch this. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, here's what that scripture reveals, and I want you to see this. Jesus came to reveal who public enemy number one was. It was sin. But the Jewish people didn't look at sin as a problem. What they looked at, their view of their problem, was Rome. Jesus never looked at Rome as the problem. He came to deal once and for all with the sin issue. His whole ministry for three years, he dealt with the spiritual. He dealt with the spiritual. He dealt with the the issue of all humanity. Now, what is that saying to you and I? We have to be careful in our lives when we are challenged with things that we don't make those things that we see the main issue or the problem. Because a lot of times, most of the issues are connected some way or somehow with the spiritual. So Jesus didn't come here to reign over and take down the kingdom of Rome. What he came to take down was the kingdom of darkness. He came into the world to bring light in the midst of darkness, but yet because of the darkness, they could not see it. So in John chapter 11, verse 47 and 49, we see that it reveals to us what public enemy, enemy number one was to the Jewish people, and it was the Roman government. That was the problem, the disconnect. They declared out of their mouth, Hosanna. Yes, Jesus came to save. They declared that he is the king and Lord over over Israel. Yes, that is true. But in their understanding in terms of what the Messiah was to do and to be, they were as lost as a Cuda Brown. Now, uh, some of you old people know what a Cuda Brown is. I've heard it all my life, but they have no clue what a Cuda Brown was. And they was just as lost as a Cuda Brown. We have to be careful even in our own lives that in everything we do, I was sharing with my wife today and my kids, that the motivation behind what we do has to be the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It has to be. Why do we go on our job? Why do we come to church? Why do we live the way we live? Why do we restrain from going to certain places? It's not because we don't want to get caught or our reputation will get out. Everything we are to do, we're to do it for the glorification of of Jesus Christ, to lift him up because of the Christ that is in us. Now look at Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. Look what it says. And this is the prophetic of what had happened in the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, here it is, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah began to declare who this king would be. But what was interesting, as you said earlier, if a king is coming... Definitely, he's not coming riding on a donkey. That can sort of throw you off a little bit. That would make you go, well, that's not the guy I'm looking for. The Jewish people are some of the most amazing people uh, in the earth today because they teach their history to their children. They know that the history of their nation, of themselves as a nation. And so they know what happened with Moses and the 400 years that they were in Egypt and how God called Moses uh, meaning one who draw, who is drawn out, and how he delivered them from one of the most powerful nations on the planet. With the strong home of the Lord, he delivered them. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and Pharaoh chased them. And they knew the story. So here they are now, 
in a similar situation with a different time period, with a different enemy, and that was their focus. This king is coming to rescue us from Rome. And literally, Jesus said, I'm come to rescue you from yourselves and from sin. That's why they couldn't see it. So one, Jesus as a king, his victory was not political. Oftentimes you see in one story where Jesus uh, was asked a question, should you pay taxes? And boy, they were trying to trap him and Jesus knew it. So he asked for a coin and he says, whose signet do you see on the coin? It said Caesar. And he flipped it back to him and he says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render what belongs to God to God. He was all about the mission of doing what God had caused him and called him into the earth to do. So his victory, this king's victory was not political. It would be spiritual. Number two, this victorious king, his victory would come through his death. Now, let me stop right here. Now, how many guys in here are young ladies play sports? Let me see you wave your hand. How many of you play sports? Okay. How many of you competed as a cheerleader? No cheerleaders in here. How many of you were in band? Raise your hand. Okay, what did you play? Saxophone. And you played clarinet. Any other band people? What did you play? Xylophone. Okay, both sports, band, cheerleading, all of the above. It's all about the competition. And what is the bottom line of, com- of competing? Huh? Winning. You play to win the game. You, you, I don't know if y'all heard that. that I, I don't know what the coach's name. Um, I can't think his name. He's the, I think the coach for the Philadelphia. You play to win the game. But point number two brings a very interesting scenario about this victorious king. His victory came through death. We would never, ever utter out our mouth that victory comes when we surrender. Now, who goes to a football game, put your equipment on and says, today, gentlemen, now here's him. Today, I'm your coach, guys. I'm fired up to let you guys know we are ready to play, but we're just going to lose tonight. I want you guys to give it a hard game, but the objective tonight is to lose. What coach in their right mind tell their players that? I'm a coach, not me. <laughs> I'm trying to win big and win. But this is interesting about this king because even to those of us who say we bear his name, clearly stumble over this and we struggle with this because as a believer in Jesus Christ, our victory comes when we surrender. Our victory comes when we die. The biggest problem we have in our lives is when any area of our lives, we still want to control And whatever area of our lives we have a tendency to control, Christ don't have it. I don't know how many of you in here still have some areas in your house, that means your life, that you need to open up the door and let him go into other areas of your, of your room. There are many Christians I know from time to time, Lord, you can come in this room, I'll, you, can, you can come in this room, you can come in this, but that room, that room, that room, I, I got a lock, you can't get the key, <laughs> you can't come in that room. Because we have never learned to die to ourselves. Now, most people, when when you look at Jesus and point number two, it doesn't make sense to know that he was a victorious king and he knew that he would walk in victory when he died. Let's take a look at it in John chapter 12, verse 20 and 26. It says, now among those who went up to, to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip and went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now let me stop right there. Leave that scripture up. Can you agree with me tonight that the reason why the crowd began to assemble is because of what? They had seen the miracles they had seen him perform with the feeding of the 5,000 and raising of Lazarus. Would you agree with me? And, the, and that fame of that event has spread far and wide. And so now coming into Jerusalem, you've got these Greek-speaking men, 
And they said, like, guys, we want to see him. Can we go see this king? This guy's amazing. Man, we heard that he raised the dead, blind eyes are open. We just need to talk to this guy. Can we get to his entourage? You know, can we get to one or two of the guys who can enter do it? And they were just probably hyped up. Man, they're going to go see Jesus. And finally, when they come into his presence, I mean, they're looking at this man who raised the dead. I mean, healed blinded eyes. People was walking, and they're just in awe of this man. And then all of a sudden, they're, you know, most Greeks, if you know study anything about the Greeks, they love what? Wisdom. So they're sitting there, it's like, boy, we're about to, dude, they high five anybody. We're about to get something really good. And all of a sudden, out of this guy's mouth, he says, the hour has come for me to die. You kidding me? Is this what we traveled about? <laughs> Can you imagine the look on their faces when they finally got to Jesus? To hear some, something amazing, something powerful, something that they can just take back with them. And all of a sudden, he reveals to them, the hour is come for me to die. Wow. Let's continue. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I want to just pause for you for a second. And I want you to see, look at these Greek guys' faces. I don't know how many of you have ever went to someone for some wisdom and counsel and you've heard that this particular person, man, really helped this other couple or helped them. And so you go to them and you're asking for counsel. Now, all of a sudden, when they give you this counsel, this piece of wisdom, it is not what you've been wanting to hear. And you just look like, really? Is that what your counsel is to me? How many of you have ever been told something or given instruction that you, something that you really didn't expect to hear or really didn't want to hear what you got? Anybody in here ever got that kind of counsel? Most of us as kids, we have parents that do that to us. And this, this king comes and says that my victory is not coming and taking over any earthly kingdom. My victory is coming through my death. And he's telling them that if a grain of sand, a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He said, guys, I know what you're looking for, but you need to understand my plight and your journey is two different things. I've come to die. Now, Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. What did his death accomplish? Why would this king reveal to these people and begin to speak in parables about a grain sitting on, unless a grain falls to the earth and dies, it will not bear, it will abide alone, but if it dies, it will bear much fruit. What was really the truth behind this? What did his, what would his death accomplish? We have the beautiful uh, opportunity of looking at this side of all of these events and going like, we could just rattle off every single thing that became a blessing to us as a result of the death of Jesus Christ. But I want you to put yourself, take yourself away from what you know now and put yourself in their shoes because they were ready to make him king. And here was the hour that this man, this king was talking about. He was going to die. What are some of the things? Look at verse 25. It says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life itself. You know, what Jesus was saying is that, guys, I've given you life here. But this is not the sum total of your existence because there is another existence I have for you in which you will live for eternity. And we have to be careful. Here's the thing we need to understand. We have to be careful that we do not make this the final destination 
And that we do not allow things in this life to attach to us as we go along the journey and the seasons of our lives to cause us to miss the what? Heavenly perspective. Jesus, in the 33 years of his life, he never lost sight of the kingdom. He never lost sight of the heavenly perspective. He never lost sight of why he came into the earth. It, it, was, it drove him. He was driven by it. He never got sidetracked from it. And we who bear his name, he tells us, he said, guys, understand, I pulled you out of darkness, placed you in the kingdom of light, and he said, don't lose sight of why I called you out of darkness. Don't allow life to frustrate you so much that you lose the heavenly perspective of why I called you into the kingdom. Amen? Well, what are some of the things his death accomplished? One, life for all who would come to him. Two, victory over the grave by going to the grave, then destroying its hole through his resurrection. Four, and there are others, I just want to give you about four of them. Three, his death gave us access to the Father. Four, his death destroyed the power of our enemies had over us, which was both sin and death. Jesus saw all of these things. He knew in his mind that if he would die, we would live. And the only way we could live, he had to die. And the only way we can have victory in every area of our lives, our king had to die. The only way we continue walking in victory in every area of our lives today, we have to die. Now, here's the question I need to ask you before we get to our final point. Why is dying so difficult? Why is dying to ourselves so difficult? It was easy for Jesus. But why is it so difficult for us to die to ourselves? Yes, ma'am. Hmm? You put the flesh under. That's not an easy task to do. <laughs> I, sh- I guess I was supposed to go, ah, yay. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, well, let's just, this is, why is it so difficult for you to die to self? I know now I may not get an answer now. <laughs> why is it difficult? Anybody? Yes, ma'am, all the way in the back. We are control freaks, maybe? Anyone else? Huh? A lot of temptations. Anyone else? Yes, sir, all the way in the back. Yes, ma'am. You're with the blue shirt? Yeah. Huh? Oh, it's hard to lose the things you have an affection for. It's hard to lose the things that has now attached itself to your emotions. Big fella in the back. Oh, that's what you're going to say? Stole it, okay. Ma'am, you had your hand up? Okay, Penny. Huh? Pride? Yes, sir. Yeah? Anyone else? Yes, sir. Now we get into works. See, that's the one thing I love about the In Christ series. Now, I don't know if you're grabbing a hold of this, but this, this teaching in Ephesians is incredible. Because guess what? Every time Pastor Ben or myself or Pastor Matt Stanley, you get the first thing that shows up on the, on the screen, in Christ, in Christ. Notice it doesn't say in you. And if it does, it says in you, which is the hope of glory that's in you. But this is not about you. Is it possible the reason why it's difficult for us to die to ourselves is because we still want to sit on the throne of our existence? We still want it two ways. We want God and we want to be Lord. We want Christ to be Lord and we want to be Lord. But it don't work like that. Jesus did did not Rival. It was not something, his throne and glory and being one with God was not, 
He was not willing to hang on to that. He was willing to relinquish that because he knew that in relinquishing that, he was going, what if, (laughs) listen, what if everything God had put in your heart would be revealed if only one thing took place, not surrender, total surrender. What if the problem was not God didn't hear you or God is, you're waiting on God. What if it was really you and not him? And I don't know how many of you have ever got to this point where you says, you surrendered to him and you went, and all of a sudden this thing broke and you're like, God, this is all I had to do? Now, I may touch on something very quickly that, and I'm only saying it because the Holy Spirit is revealing to me to say it. There are some of you sitting in here tonight. The reason why you have not gotten your physical breakthrough is because you're still holding on to past pain and hurt. And you have not forgiven them. Because they hurt you. And you have not forgiven them. And I will tell you, brother or sister, They're not worth it. It's not worth it. Because you have not relinquished that hurt and that pain. I want to confess something to you. That was a situation that happened in my life. And I won't go into a whole lot of details. And I hung on to that pain for almost 15 years. 15 years. Preaching the gospel. Loving God. Witnessing the people. But God in everything he's loving, I would lay down at night and God says, I want you to fix it. I want you to kill it. I want you to fix it. And I'm like, God, but I didn't do anything to deserve this. He said, that's irrelevant. You see, here's what you need to understand. And I'm about to come to the close. People will hurt you and move on with their lives and forget what they did. And they'll allow you and you will hang on to that. And the enemy will make sure you hang on to it. So he caused the enemy, caused them to hurt you. And then he's going to kill two birds with one stone by allowing you to continue living that hurt over and over again. Now it's time to loose it because your season and God's purpose and your destiny is at stake. It's time now to loose that. When Jesus was on the cross and right before he died. One of the things of the seven things he said that blew my mind. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I'm thinking, the first time I read, are you kidding me? These people just beat you mercilessly. And you say, they don't know what they're doing. But the more I begin to understand the love of Jesus Christ, the more I begin to understand his purpose, God began to reveal to me, he says, in order for you to die, you've got to release some things before you die. Because if you're going to die, you need to die with the purpose and the control of God at the helm so that when you are raised from this, you will be raised with the power of the Holy Spirit, with Christ in you, now moving you in a direction so that now God has total control and now he's controlling every aspect of your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, and your journey. And he says, he told the disciples, when you go and I'm sending you, take nothing on your journey. Many of us are dragging too many people from our past in our journey. Some of us are carrying too much luggage in our journey. And it's time to put it down. Jesus was on the cross. And before he died, he shook off everything that he had had experienced in this life. And he says, it is finished. It's done. Wow. Not only was this king's victory was not political, this victory would, this king's victory would come through death, but finally, his victory honors another. And John chapter 20, and John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, put that up please. It says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I've come into this hour. Father, glorify what? Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What did his victory bring? 
it brought honor to the Father. How would that happen? How would Jesus' death bring honor to the Father? Number one, his actions brought glory to the Father. John 8, 28, 29 shows this. It says, Jesus said to them, when you, have lift, when you have lifted the Son of Man up, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as what? The Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are what? Are pleasing to him. Even in surrendering to his death, he knew that dying was going to glorify the Father. If surrendering in your life, the things in your life to God would bring glory to God, why wouldn't you do it? John chapter 12, verse 31, and th- uh, the second one says that he glorified the Father by going to the cross. He glorified the Father by going to the cross. John chapter 12, verse 31 and 32 says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus prayed an incredible prayer. He said, Lord, before I leave, make the disciples one as you and I are one. I've kept all of them save one. Father, I'm giving them to you. I have done everything. I have kept them. I've given them your word. And before he left, he prayed for them. And by going to the cross, he would glorify the Father. Why? Because all those who would come to him now had access to him. So not only by going to the cross, he glorified him, but also by removing the hostility. Jesus died. And by dying, he removed the hostility between God and us, making us one with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 16, it says, but now in Christ, how? But now how? In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought together near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, what? The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that thing that kept telling us what we were doing wrong and that thing kept condemning us, he destroyed it, that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Wow. I don't know if you've ever loved somebody from a distance. I remember Nadine was going to Nickel State and I was in Arkansas. And man, I was, in, I was madly in love with that girl. We were 10 and a half hours away. And I'm telling my we didn't have cell phones. We had public phones where you had to put a quarter in or 50 cents. And man, I would call Nadine on some Thursday nights and Friday nights and we'd be talking and all of a sudden you would hear the, her voice would just go out. And you hear this lady would interrupt my wonderful conversation with the girl in my dreams. Please deposit 75 more cents. I'm like, will you please get off the line? And I couldn't be, I couldn't connect with her until I put some more money in the phone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that 50 plus know what I'm talking about. I promise you, my cell bill would have just been blown up if I had a cell phone. I was able to talk to Nadine every night. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to love someone from a distance, but that is an agony that, man, for any woman that ever had a husband to, and she had to see him go off to the military, not knowing the fate of your husband, and you would get letters from overseas, you know, that he's doing fine, or if through a period of time you wouldn't get less off. That is an agonizing thing. Can you imagine how much love the Father had for us, but there was a wall that was between us, and he couldn't get to us, and we couldn't get to him? So Jesus' death became a necessity. When Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and went to the cross, he tore down the wall. He brought the two lovers together. It was Jesus' death that brought us to our faithful lover. He brought us to our faithful lover. 
It was time that brought me to my lover. And then I married her two years later. And then thank God for cell phones. And finally, Jesus honored the Father by bringing light of truth into darkness. He honored the Father because the whole world was cloaked with darkness and had no understanding of who God was. And now Jesus dies on the cross and he said, Father, I want to honor you with my death and bring truth into this darkness. John chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, he says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe the light that you may become sons of the light. He glorified the Father by dying on the cross and made the two who was in hostility against each other, made us one with him. I want you to stand to your feet. Our gracious Father, thank you for your most precious truth. The event of the Passover is an incredible event in the life of every believer because it, was, it set into motion our freedom from death and from sin. It began to set into motion the repairing of our relationship with our lover. It set into motion our healing. It set into motion our understanding of the love of God. It, it set into motion that our oneness with Christ and we can have the power of God residing in us to effect change, to bring glory to the Father. It was this triumphant entry of this king, not on a stallion but on a donkey, who came to die for all of us. And Jesus, we say thank you because in your death, you became victorious. And because you conquered death, hell, and the grave, we have victory. You overcome, and you tell us we have overcome. And this is the victory that is found in Christ Jesus. Father, I ask that as we leave this place tonight, let us go with the understanding that you paved the way for us. That in order for us to have life, there must be a death. We love you. We honor you. Protect your people as they go to their respective homes. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.